RDI Insights. Mike Dempsey in conversation with Royal Designers. Hello, my name is Mike Dempsey and welcome to the RDI Insight podcast series, where I am in conversation with designers across various disciplines who have been honoured by the Royal Society of Arts as Royal Designers for Industry, or RDI for short. The honour was established in 1936 to recognise industrial designers' contribution to the country and their benefit to society. This is an RDI archive recording from 2006 with the outstanding film title designer Kyle Cooper. Over the 16 years since our original interview, Kyle's company Prologue has significantly expanded and in addition to creating main title sequences, they now embrace motion graphics, visual effects and virtual reality, all from their sunny Venice, Californian HQ. The main title sequence for David Fincher's 1995 Oscar-nominated feature film Seven was a major step change in title design. Its edgy, scratchy and frenetic quality spawned many imitations. Its creator, Carl Cooper, is my guest today. He has been hailed as the natural heir to the great Saul Bass and also dubbed as the reinventor of film title design as an art form. But Cooper himself takes this in his stride. His passion and dedication for his craft is very evident in this fascinating and revealing interview, which was recorded while he was in the UK for a lecture. Due to technical problems, the last segment of the interview was completed over a transatlantic line from Kyle Cooper's studio base in Venice, California. So my apologies in advance for the change in sound quality. Well, Kyle, I'd I'd like to kick off with the fact, and I'm sure you're very bored with this fact, it's been 13 years since the opening titles of Seven invaded our cinema screens. And I just wanted to know uh, from you, because I'm sure you've you've spoken about that particular sequence so much that I thought I'd thought get it out, out of the way at the beginning. But did you know when you were working on that project the kind of how special it was going to be? Did you have no, an inkling? No, I, I didn't have an inkling. I, I just knew I, I wanted it to be good. And I had the good fortune of only working on one thing at that time. I kind of, I was working at our Greenberg in Los Angeles, in the Los Angeles office, and there was talk about Bob Greenberg closing that office and, you know, possibly moving to San Francisco, possibly doing more interactive work. But the point is, I was the creative director and I had a number of things going on. And I just kind of made a conscious decision that I was only going to work on one thing and uh, not try to, you know, and, and do the best that I could do without being sort of encumbered by any, you know, there was no one telling me that I had to be concerned about the budget or the amount of people working on it or all these sort of traditional constraints that we had had, partly because you know, Bob had disengaged a little bit from the LA Mm. office. I think he, you know, obviously we we ended up buying out RGALA and and naming it, you know, starting Imaginary Forces. I just kind of locked myself in this small room, ironically under the stairs, 
next to, you know, we had some spillover space and I just decided to do the best that I could and focus on that one thing. And I really wanted to impress David Fincher. I really liked his, you know, Fincher was coming off and not a very successful first directorial outing, at least critically. Um, he had directed, uh, I think, Alien, maybe the third installment of the Alien movie, and it didn't get, that was his first movie, if I'm correct, and it didn't get, didn't do too well at the box office. You know, he really wanted to do well on this, you know, I, I think he was, this was going to be a good movie, and I wanted to do a good job for him. But uh, no, there's, in fact, I remember every time I edit something, or I work on an edit with an editor, I, I never have the editor pick selects. I always pick the pieces that I want to use, mm. you know, so I throw everything away that I, I'm not interested in mm. because I don't want to have any shots that I don't think are the best looking shots. Yeah, and yeah. it's not necessarily story driven. Yeah. You, you would think that it's all about the story, but it's, I don't want anything ugly in there. And so I picked every single shot that I knew I wanted to use mm. and I um, sort of gave those to the editor but even at that time, I remember thinking, do we really have anything here? Mm. You know, do I have enough dailies? You know, mm. do we have enough time to shoot enough pieces? I liked, there's a sort of shot looking through the book pages where the hand is backlit, yeah. so sort of straight down the line of the spine. And I thought that that would be an int- a sort of good thread, you know, to, to go back to that a couple of times in yeah. the edit. But again, I wondered if, um, if I had got it on yeah. the day, after shooting for two days, I wondered if I had, which I think is the specific answer to your question yeah. I, I i i wasn't sure You're i got sure. it i are you sure i got you it clearly did get it and i mean the, <laughs> then, get the pieces you know and then the fact is after that all of these kind of um accolades were thrown at you you know that not since saul bass as i've been titled sickness generated so much excitement and that you were the natural heir uh, to single-handedly revitalize the titles as an art form and so on and so on and so on and it got you know everyone absolutely uh, loved it around the world. So how did you feel then suddenly, you, you know, so it, all this is being reflected back at you. Um, how did you feel? I think I was kind of naive then, to be honest. I was younger, 13 years younger, mm-hmm. and I I was very obsessive, possibly to a fault. And I think that obsessiveness at that time in my life played out to um, – an inability to say no to anything, mm. you know, sort of growing up. Mm. If somebody asked me to do something, I would always try to do it. And maybe it's an insecurity or an obsessiveness, or I don't know what character, you know, personality defect that is born out of, you know, what, but I, all these people started asking us to do things and asking me to work on things, and, you know, and, and, uh, I should have taken the same attitude that I had with the seven title, which was to just work on one thing at a time. And in fact, I remember somebody telling me, you know, you need to be really careful because a lot of people are going to ask you to do things mm. and, um, you know, you can't do it all. And so I started building this company and hiring other designers and the company's growing and uh, trying to get all these things done. And I think that um, you can only do one good thing at a time. You can only focus on one thing at a time. So do you think that that success came a little too early for you in terms of... I think uh, that I didn't, you know, I wasn't probably secure enough in my own ability that I felt like I needed to keep keep working on things that probably I shouldn't have worked on in retrospect. I wouldn't work on now. Okay, well... before we go on to talk about what you you know what the the main body work, I want I want to shuttle back to uh, to your early days. 
Uh, you were born in uh, Swampscott, Massachusetts. That's right. What was what sort of life did you have there as a, as a young as a young child? I I was I would draw all the time. I think that um, you know my mother and my grandfather. My parents were divorced when I was eight, and mm. uh, my mother was very supportive of my art. And you know I wasn't really good in sports, and uh, the way that I would deal with things would be to just draw. Yeah, you know, I could always I had that one thing that I could do well that I could do better than anybody else. And so you sort of take refuge in that thing and then you do, well, I might not be a great football player, but I can I can draw. And, and I always won art awards in every grade growing up. You know, but we had problems. It was sort of difficult childhood, I think. Did you have brothers or sisters? I had two brothers. I had an older brother. I was in the middle. I had yeah. an older brother and a younger brother. And we got in a lot of trouble, you know, and fought with each other and got in, you know, the North Shore of Boston, kind of a working class town, um, a lot of Irish and Italian families. And it wasn't very culturally advanced. You know, there wasn't a lot of, you could go into Boston, but we didn't go into Boston very much. And there wasn't a lot of, outside of my family, you know, people would pick on you if you're an artist, you know, you get a lot of, be pick fights, people pick fights with you because you're an artist and um, not a lot of support from guidance counselors and other kids. And so I get in fights, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, so it was a little hard. That, and, and that's the other thing, you know, always wanting to prove something, you know, trying to, this idea of, there's like two ways of working. You know, one way is to, to, to sort of prove yourself and, and run everyone else off their feet. And the other way is just, you know, exercising your gift instead mm -hmm. of saying, you know, it's like the Harry Abraham, Eric Little thing from Chariots of Fire. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to run these people off their feet and I'm going to, you know, prove everyone wrong that didn't think I was would amount to anything. And then it's kind of like, well, no, I run because God made me fast. It's like the times where I would just create things and draw things because I felt like I had a gift um, rather than to prove that I was worth something, you know. But what was it like? So, you know, my mother was very supportive, but it was difficult growing up in that town, I think. And there was a, you know, it wasn't a lot of encouragement, certainly not any encouragement for um, for filmmaking. You know, not a lot of so your your not main, a lot of directors coming sure. out of swamps about now. Sure. So your your main distractions, sort of um, going in on yourself creatively, drawing a lot and creating your own kind of world. Yeah, obsessive worlds that I could control. Yeah, you know, I could control my own what was on the page, and even in graphic design, you know, when I started doing that, just laying out the newspaper at college, I, I could have control over this little world. Okay, so tell me... If so I couldn't have any control over the external world, I could control this sure. world. So tell me um, when that started to, to kick in, i.e. that there was, there was a possibility of a creative world that you could enter into. Because I know from previous conversations with people who come from uh, a similar kind of background, working class background, there is, um, simply because of the, the nature of, of life, often parents, uh, you know, it's too beyond their, their understanding that there is such a thing as uh, graphic design or, or a creative world. That's for people with a lot of money that go to colleges. And so your natural inclination is to be looking to the factories and the, the, the local industry, which is depressing as hell. And yeah, my, my, my parents weren't like that. You know, my, um, they were fascinated, I think, you know, that I had that talent. I think they were proud that I could draw. And so they, they would never discourage me. The discouragement came primarily from um, the schools, yeah. you know, uh, schools and guidance counselors and peers, you know, yeah. other, other 
other kids. Who would be jealous of the fact you could draw? Something, so they you know, yeah. You up instead. Yeah, well, that, you know, but I wasn't, they didn't beat me up. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, like we were all, my, my older brother, well, I, you know, we would, I, we were not, I, I, that was the one, I, I thought that you could, you know, the suggestion is you're kind of introvert, introverted and yeah. effeminate that yeah, you can yeah. draw, but sure. we went, went to great lengths to prove that you didn't have to be a, <laughs> You didn't have to be like that to be. That's why I, 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 you know, you can be an artist and be cool too in that, in that context. Um, and I, in fact, in my fraternity in college, my one of my best friends, my roommate, was an artist. He prided himself on being, uh, you know, a good fighter. But that'd be a lot of fight. In UMass, there was a lot of people fighting and drinking, and all that was going on. You know, I'd come back and I had my drafting table. I'd have been working on a rendering for a week and then people smash pumpkins and beer bottles on the <laughs> thing. But uh no, I, I I my my mother always encouraged me to draw. And in fact my grandfather, I, I think I was only seven years old, my grandfather was a carpenter and um he was in the Salvation Army. He's a very, you know, decent man and a and a very uh he always you know, was doing things for other people. He'd like rebuild these old ladies' porches and things when, you know, just for free that they need to always be helping people. And I, he wanted to be, when he was older, he be, he started writing all this poetry that he wanted to write during his life. But he said to me, I must've been only seven years old. He said, you know, my son, if you don't, if you don't do something with your artistic talent, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. And it's so strange coming from, I'll never forget that because coming from him, he was not the kind of person that you would think would be in tune to that or would be, um, you know, encouraging of that. You know, I sort of, I took his advice. I always tried to get some kind, you know, but it was all about work. It's all about getting a job. Can you get a job? You know, can you, how, how are you going to get a job being an artist or how are you going to get a job being a filmmaker and that kind of Boston? How, how are you going to, you know, how are you going to work doing that? You yeah. know, and, 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 uh, you need to be an engineer or something. And they, and, and you, you listen to that nonsense. And meanwhile, at the time that they're telling me there's no work to be had creatively in film, they're doing the creature shop at Industrial Light and Magic is doing Star Wars and E.T. and Raiders of the Lost Ark. So you that. were pretty fixated early on about wanting to get into film. I mean, yeah, I wanted to not do, uh, necessarily just pure graphic design, but you wanted to get into film. No, graphic film. design, it was film. Film was what I what I was most interested in. I would love to watch horror movies, um, movies of any kind, but, you know, fantasy movies and, and um, you know, Blade Runner and... sure. I wanted to do that and the dead zone and, um, you know, altered states, but, but it was in college. Well, let me think about that. You know, I, I made a series of posters and things before I went to college, but they were, you know, illustrative posts, nothing about typography, illustrations, you know, from my mother's friends and things, you know, hand-drawn type, very remedial things. But, but I also used to go into the dictionary and, um, uh, pick words and try to, you know, make a drawing that had the type doing what it said, yeah. which was something that somebody noticed that and encouraged me to do more of that in graphic design. But the point is, graphic design in college from my freshman year at the University of Massachusetts was a way of um, paying the bills. I had work study. I worked for the newspaper, pasting up the newspaper with waxers. Yeah. Um, I worked making logos for small businesses. So, so this I wanted is, would to be have been a filmmaker. What, what sort of age would you have been at uh, that point? When I started at 18. 18 yeah. yeah, 18. Yeah. And the summer going into college, a friend of mine's father knew the uh, governor 
of, of Massachusetts, one of my friends, and, and we knew somebody, and he got me a job as a toll collector at the Massachusetts Turnpike Authority at the Callahan Tunnel in Boston. And that summer, you know, it was a high-paying municipal job, and I was very lucky to have it. A lot of people wanted that. You have to, you know, it's so kind of, it's not, it's corrupt in a way. You had to know somebody who knew somebody to get this kind of job, this yeah. municipal job. But I remember collecting tolls and saying to myself, this is the last job that I'm ever going to do that isn't art-related, that isn't design-related. I'm going to, no matter what it is, no matter how much they pay me, I'm never going to do anything else because I was a dishwasher. I did all. I mean, I, I worked since I was had a paper route when I was really young. And then when I was 14, I lied about my age so I could be a porter at uh, Dunkin' Donuts. I was, you know, mopping the floor at Dunkin' Donuts. And I don't know if you ever Which has a great logo. Yeah. <laughs> it's a beauty. Isn't it? That's, that's what that, that's. I saw the Dunkin' Donuts logo. That's what. That's yeah. what made me want to go into this business. Do they have Dunkin' Donuts here? In <laughs> they don't, but they did for a brief time way back in the uh, in the sixties, actually. And I remember seeing the logo and thinking how lovely it was. Yeah, <laughs> because it, it, you were just saying, typed it. You know, does what it, is that it, the one it, that has the donut going in the coffee cup there? Bro? No, it has the very rounded. Oh, the very round donut. Donut. It looks like donuts, yeah. basically. You know, <laughs> wordplay. <laughs> um, oh, no, that's yeah. So then I, but then I started doing type but type you know doing graphic design was that was the vocational thing yeah you'll never get a job as a filmmaker okay well, let me try to be a, I, I try to be a graphic designer but they didn't have a good graphic they didn't have a graphic design program at umass they had two classes it was commercial art and it was very illustrative and you did interior design well so they because i got a scholarship i got a scholarship yeah. i'm not going to lie to you i mean at that time in my life we were getting in, I was getting in a lot of trouble and school. I wasn't a good student in high school at all, you know, and the English teachers was my mother's friend. She used to give me a better grade if I would make a drawing on the cover of my papers. I didn't do well in math, but my mother knew the chief administrator at the University of Massachusetts and both my parents had gone to the University of Massachusetts. So that was the only place that I could go to get in to college. Mm. It was UMass because we, my, my mother knew this woman, but not only, but because of my grades, I think, you know, unless I tried to go to an art school, but there was a lot of discouragement going to art school. And I didn't, I wanted to go to a school where my friends were going at that time. I was kind of didn't know any better, I don't think. But the point is to get the money to go to school, I applied for a scholarship. There was a woman who um, picked two kids every year. Uh, it was the Wilhelmina Dennings Jackson Memorial Scholarship, and it went to the outstanding student in in fine art. And uh, she gave me, I won the scholarship myself and you know, one person from my town and one person from the next town over. But the stipulation was with this scholarship I won, uh, I had to study something. I had to major in art. I was a sculpture major. I was a fine arts major or foundations mm -hmm. program. And everybody kept saying, you're never going to get a job you know, as a sculptor or as a filmmaker, you never, you need, you need to, you need to get a job. You need to get a job. Okay. What can I major in and still be in the fine arts program? Interior design. All right. I'll try to be an interior designer. I didn't care for interior design. I I appreciate it much more now. I, I'm, you know, I'm much more in tune to it right now, but I liked graphic design better because it seemed more immediate to me. It yeah. seemed like I could make a poster and I could have a joke on my poster and you could get my joke and I could have this kind of, my brother could understand what the poster I was making and there was an immediacy and a desire to communicate on a more specific 
level. You know, I mean, I understand that you can get and have an emotional response to a space, but I wanted more of a one-liner kind yeah. of a response to something that I made. So I started working as a graphic designer because that was all that I could do. When did I start to get serious about it? I touched on this last night. I was walking across the campus one day, living in a fraternity and not doing well in interior design. And somebody, I think actually my mother's friend came up to me and told me that uh, my mother had been in this accident. And it was as if, um, you know, it's like in Henry V, where there's this moment, you know, where, you know, the offending Adam was whipped out of him and, and uh, he, he immediately changed. He immediately left the bar room and, uh, you know, talks about the sweetest berries growing among baser fruit. And I, you know, that, that I can, I relate to that because immediately I was just like, oh my gosh, um, I was basically raised by my mother and uh, she's dying. And my response was, you know, possibly denial or something, but I was more like, I better get busy. You know, I better, uh, mm. I better figure out what I'm going to do now because mm. all of a sudden I'm alone in the world. And the other thing is you realize everything I was doing, every time I would draw something as a kid, all of a sudden it became clear to me that I was drawing it for a validation from my mother to say, I wanted someone to say, oh, that's great, honey. Or that's, mm. And all of a sudden I'm like, what am I, there's no one, no one who's looking at my, my drawings now, you know, I don't have that uh, validation, but I walked into the internship office. There was a paper that had just come in that day. It's complete um, fluke that that even came in because one guy, a friend of mine did a postgraduate internship at Wang Laboratories Corporate Communications Department. He got to do the internship because he was working as a security guard there. They never would have taken an intern from UMass. They wouldn't even look at UMass for an intern. Yeah. Everyone there had a master's degree from Yale or the Rhode Island School of Design. Some of them had two. One guy had a master's degree in both architecture and graphic design. But they fill out a form at the end of the postgraduate internship and they send it to the internship office. And, and this guy, as a formality, um, had to send in the form who got he convinced them somehow to let him do this internship in a postgraduate way. And uh, I walked in that day, you know, the day that I got that news about my mother, I walked into the internship office and I took this piece of paper and they said, well, you can't take that out of the office. And I said, just give me it for, let me just have it for 24 hours. And I contacted the guy and, you know, as I said last night, you know, maybe they felt bad for me or whatever, because I remember Hugh Dubberly you know, who went to Rhode Island School of Design and then got a master's degree from Yale. I remember him saying when he looked at my work, like, why would you, why would you use a typeface like that? You know, mm -hmm. it was very illustrative and mm -hmm. silly gouache paintings of dragons and, you know, but he looked at some of the wordplay things and he said, do you like doing that? And I said, yeah, you know, I do. And so they let me be this intern. It was a non-paid internship, but everybody there kept saying, you know, wait till you meet Paul Rand and talking about typography. And all of a sudden that, you know, I'm very appreciative of that. It was a very, that opened my eyes about typography. Mm. And it also, they had show and tell. And one week, someone brought in a reel of main titles and it had altered states and the day it had some of the greenberg work it had a few saul bass titles and i was like oh wow you know and i actually got my hands on a brochure from our greenberg i remember this black mm. slick maybe poorly printed because the fold it wasn't the score was cracking it was like the varnish was cracking i remember but it was like this slick sort of spot varnish 
promotional piece for our Greenberg Associates. And I said, I want to work. You know, I, I saw that main titles was this way of transcending the argument yeah. you know, that I could, if I could do that, I could be a filmmaker and a graphic designer. Yeah. But they still encouraged me to go to Yale and they still walked me through a lot of these typographic experiments at Wang and they helped me put a portfolio together. And I know for a fact that Alvin Eisenman is the head of the program or was the head of the program at Yale for many years. And one year he took a sabbatical and Philip Burton, who went to Basel, um, picked the class. They pick 18 kids to get in. And um, Philip had only picked a class one other time. And the people that were in the class that Philip had picked the first time were all of my teachers who Hugh Doubly hired at Wang. So Peter Levine, Phyllis Aragaki, Rick Mel, Randy Swearer, Hugh Doubly were all in the same class at Yale. And they were all, he hired them all mm. to start this corporate communications department at Wang Laboratories Computer Company. And so all those guys were from the other class that Philip had picked and they were at a wedding and they pulled Philip aside at the wedding and said, you know, you have to, you got to look at Kyle, you know, you have to, which is, you know, such a blessing to me that, that, that they would do that. So I got into Yale um, and that was a coup for mm. me. And I liked it so much there, um, you know, because they, they kept telling me about Paul Rand yeah. and Paul Rand only taught a master's class. He only taught the second year student, but myself and this other guy from Boston, Bob Burns, we showed up there because Lou Danzinger always told Bob about Paul Rand. And we got there in as first year students. And when Paul Rand had his master class, we just went, you know, we said, we, we, we want to, and they all said, you can't be here. You need to go. And the other teachers said, well, this is Mr. Rand is, you know, you don't get to have Mr. Rand until the second year. And we were like, you know, these two kids from Boston. <laughs> it's like, no, we're not going to wait, wait. And then he said, so he came in and they said, you know, those guys are in the first year and let him stay, you know? So he, um, <laughs> everybody talked about how he was, you know, he made the girls cry and he's, you know, so hard and, and such a harsh critic and, you know, he's like a guy from Brooklyn, and we're, sure. and we and we're these guys from Boston, and, <laughs> and and that's just the way we talk to each other. We completely, you know, would sit at his feet because we didn't, care, you know, we, we'd say, "You tell me if it stinks, right?" Is what saying? Yeah, yeah. If you're looking for a pat on the back, you came to the wrong place. <laughs> but we didn't care, you know. Just like that—that that was the thing. It's you know, he couldn't hurt. He wouldn't hurt my feelings because I didn't profess to know anything anyway. Sure. I mean, I was just trying. The same way that I want to please my mother, I want to please David Fincher. I just wanted to make one thing that Paul Wren would, uh, would, um, you know, like, because he didn't like anything that anybody made. It's very, it was, I shouldn't say that. Once in a while, there'd be like an, an Asian woman that would make something that he would think was good. <laughs> but so he became your 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 inspiration, mentor. Well, but Philip was a you know Philip Burton was. Um, the other teachers were from Basel, but they had good, they, they had Armin Hoffman came and Wolfgang Weingart came and Shigeo Fukuda came and Germano Fischetti came and Richard Saul Wurman came and Bradbury Thompson mm -hmm. came and Paul Rand again. But I wanted to do a tutorial with Paul Rand and Chris Pullman would come. And the only people that would talk to me about ideas, you know, I wasn't so much about, um, I still wanted to make a poster that you would get, you, that yeah. would make you laugh. Yeah. And my, um, so I was pretty impatient with the formal exercises, the, you know, the, the kind of 
ruling pen things yeah. and drawing letter matthew yeah. carter came and yeah. you know Oh, drawing, yes. drawing letter forms. I, and Inga Druckery came, and I didn't. I, you know, Inga. I look at Inga Druckery's work now, and it's just like, you know, it's beautiful. But at that time, I'm just a twenty. I'm a kid. I'm twenty five. I was the youngest. I was the youngest kid in my in the graduate class, and I didn't really care to be thinking about form. I wanted to talk about, you know, um main titles or motion or sequence and story and sound and, and concepts and uh, visual puns. And, and Mr. Rand was the only one that would talk about that, but he would, but he simultaneously would say, an idea is only as good as its execution. And you need to, you know, this looks like it's a night, it's a good idea, but it's, it stinks. You know, you, you have to learn how to, so in, you know, 22 years later, I re I'm like, yeah, of course, you know, Things, have, I, I, things I, have to look good, but I that think, took me a while to sink in. You know, well, one of the things you said last night: typography is very important to you. Typography, because in, in so many titles, that those sort of considerations often are just not considered at all. But if you have a beautiful piece of typography, and then you have all the other things that you can do with it, it with uh, with motion graphics, it can make it that much better. And I, I cite one example of your work, which I, I think uh, has a supreme elegance, and that's the Donny Brasco uh -huh. uh, title sequence, which just has this very elegant moving type, which sort of gently fades and moves. Yeah. And uh, one can see that you know that you have a sensitivity to type, and and I also related bit back to to um, the, the rhythmic quality that uh, Rand often had in his work. You know, he would be asymmetric in his, you know, he'd be unlike, you know, the, the, the Swiss school where everything was range left and, you know, there was no centering. He seemed to be fairly eccentric in his view of typography. No, that's and that's completely the point. Like, it, you know, I'm saying I want to talk about motion and he's saying, you know, there's a moment, man. That's yeah. a, that's a moment. You know, Absolutely. I there's a moment in time. You want to you, you have to make a moment yeah. before you can, you know, if you make one moment, you see how the rest of it will play out on. And as I level. think as you pointed out last night showing some of Paul Rand's work, a lot of it may well be uh, two-dimensional and, and static, but it's actually moving. You, it is you, moving. You, you see, it's almost like a freeze frame. And that some, was always, and that's how every composition you you trying to trying to do that. And that's, um, that's what I, you know, I didn't, when that guy asked the question about the cult of the scratchy thing that Jessica wrote, oh, yes. I, I, I didn't care that she was saying that it was a sort of transient, you know, thing and that it was fleeting. And, um, I think we should know. just say for listeners, don't understand that, that the, the typography in the titles for seven, um, are scratch almost. They look as if they're scratched onto the emulsion. They're very, very sort of um, uh, frenetic and uh, strange. And this, uh, this uh, created uh, post uh, that title sequence being so successful. A lot of people aping that style and wanting to use it because they were so affected by it, and it became scratchy. And I think it was um, that term was used in an article that you just referred to, and you got kind of lumbered with that. You were Mister Scratchy. Right. It certainly happened, but I think it's inappropriate to um, measure that sequence against that criticism because, you know, the, the, the killer was developing photos in his bathtub and he was carving, he had a hand, you know, he had his books and he had these hand scrawled books 
And I was just thinking it was if he was doing a traditional film optical and developing the film and stapling the film together and taping the film with his little rusty splicer in his own bathtub as well. And so I think that that typography was completely born out of the the idea. The problem then becomes when somebody says, you know, we want something like seven and it's for a, you know, um, car commercial. Yeah, I mean, how, how did you reason. how did you res- resist that, or didn't you resist that? I think you mentioned. I probably did a bit of it. I yeah. probably I not not. I probably did a bit of shooting type on film and overexposing mm. type, and you mm. know, the flickery jumping. I mean, it's it's not so much about making it intentionally flickering. The, the reality was, I was creating animation editorially, you know, for yeah. Mimic and for Donnie Brasco, for that matter, you talk about the type moving, but there is no animation. There's no animation in, in Mimic and there's no animation in Seven in terms of After Effects animation or Maya animation, yeah. or there's no software. No, It's animated it's, because I'm just the way that you're editing and I'm yeah. doing cross dissolves and Donnie Brasco's all cross dissolves and even Dawn of the Dead recently, I don't animate. Yeah. I shoot type practically, and then I cre- create the movement by cutting it or, or just yeah. editorial. It's like selling. It's In fact, it is animation. a very traditional yeah. uh, form, uh, rather than being too heavily engaged in software. It's more selling. Or, or, you know, it's yeah. it's actually more more. Um, and so the, the but the thing about the you know so I did like shooting type on film. I did do for commercial things that people ask, but this is what I was touching upon at the beginning. I had business partners. All yeah. of a sudden, these offers are coming in, and people are paying you, and they're giving you a lot of money, and yeah. you know, do this type and and uh, the ability to say no was yeah, and, I, and I, I want I I I I think I don't know why I had a hard time saying no. This was at Imaginary Forces. Yeah, the we, we of kind of, we kind of skipped your exit from. Uh, from Yale and your entree into um, into your first creative jobs. Did did you go just to touch on that? Did you go straight from Yale into uh, Greenberg's or? No, I started a little company with two. Here's what happened. So at Yale, because I I um, as I mentioned, going to Yale was a coup for me. Yeah, uh, it's a two year program. I asked Alvin Eisenman. Um, who just as an aside said to me, uh, well, I guess I'm, I'm digressing, but I, w- I don't want to forget to tell the story about Alvin. Alvin said, you know, I told Alvin I was interested in film. And he said, well, you know, Kyle, the world needs more graphic designers than filmmakers. And although that I took that as discouragement at the time, you know, I, I actually think knowing what I know about him and knowing how kind of sage and, and, uh, wise he was i think he was saying precisely what we were talking about which was you know you need to learn how to see first you, you, you need to be a graphic designer and then you can be a filmmaker it's like the world needs more graphic designers than filmmakers oh the world needs more graphic designers that are filmmakers and you and if you learn how to see hmm. and think like a graphic designer it'll only inform your filmmaking which is the same thing that paul Rand said i, he said, I don't want to talk about saul bass I don't want to talk about what's happening in, in, in main titles. I don't want you to do your thesis on main titles. I want you to read Film Form and Film Sense by Eisenstein. Yeah. And then we'll talk about, you know, we'll, we'll talk about form and we'll talk about film one frame at a time. So to have, have teachers like that and to be in that place, you know, this beautiful college. I mean, you can tell by the way I talk about it, it was one of the best times mm. in my life. Yeah. So I asked Alvin if I could stay a third year. So I had a very good friend, Garson Yu, who was in my 
um, class. He, I would have graduated with him the second year. And then I had another friend, John DeRay, that was in, the, I graduated with the third year. And we tried to have this little company in New York doing graphic design for about, you know, two months. And I got along really well with John. I got along really well with Garson, but the three of us, you know, I get along with anybody. I mean, in terms of working together, I'm, I'm, um, I love to collaborate with other people. I have no problem, um, trying to put forward other designers and 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 uh, get other people because some of these main title sequences are so complex that I kind of have to rally people around them and get everybody to sort of go in the same direction but those guys didn't get along too well so I said you know what I I, I, I wanted to work two places I, I wanted to work at um our Greenberg Associates because I wasn't ready to go to California yet I had seen the titles for altered states the dead zone alien you know untouchables Blue Steel. I knew all of the body of work that Greenberg did. World According to Garp, Superman. Mm. I wanted to go there, but I had also knew Phil Gibbs, and Phil Gibbs went to Yale, and I, I didn't know him. I knew of him, and I knew that he had a company called um, uh, Frankfurt Gibbs uh, Ballkind. The great Stephen Frankfurt. Stephen, I, I knew. Son, I knew Stephen Frankfurt, who had. Who, who, had Go ahead. Well, I mean, I, I think I'd just slot this in here because I know that it's a great influence uh, on you. And certainly, uh, personally, for me, I think one of the best all-time title sequences is um, To Kill a Bird, simply because it's a, it was the first, although Bass had done sort of narrative pieces, this was the most complete narrative story told as a title sequence, which it's in black and white, it's sort of tabletop, very close in macro quality with a great sensitivity child's voice singing and humming in the background crayon scribing across the screen and then with the most perfect piece of music it's so emotional and yeah. uh, that it sets the scene for that film perfectly which it couldn't be a more perfect um, introduction to what is also an incredibly moving and sensitive film it yeah. seemed to me the first time that a, a, a title really was integral to the film as opposed to slotted on the front. Yep. And, and, I I, and here's the, but here's the thing, yeah. but that people make more out of that being an influence um, for me. It's kind of, it's a bit more of a post-rationalization than a, um, than an influence because I, I wasn't so familiar with that title as I was familiar with the marketing for alien, which Steve Frankfurt brought to Greenberg and, um, you know, the, the kind of when advertising tried harder mentality that Stephen Frankfurt as a creative director um, at the agencies, I want to say Young and Rubicam, kind of brought to his poster design. So I wanted to work at Frankfurt Gibson Ballkind for Stephen Frankfurt and Phil Gibbs because I had seen the posters that they did for Rosemary's Baby mm. and Downhill Racer and um, more recently, The Jagged Edge. But I didn't like The Jagged Edge poster as much as Rosemary's Baby and Emmanuel, the X is never like this typography one. I was more familiar with that print work and I hadn't even, I didn't even realize that um, Stephen Frankfurt did To Kill a Mockingbird. But the point is, I just identified those two places that I wanted to work and those people that I wanted to work for and I got a job at Frankfurt Gibson Balkan and I worked with Stephen Frankfurt for a little bit and I worked with Phil Gibbs for a little bit and then Greenberg called me and said, you know, um, we want you to come here. You know, I had submitted my application a while ago and I was really kind of torn 
because here, here is again my my wanting to please and not wanting to say no. I didn't want to tell Phil Gibbs after he just hired me out of Yale that I I I, I couldn't work there anymore. But they weren't doing so much motion work at uh, at, at Frankfurt Gibson Balkind. They 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 weren't. It's all it was all print. And so I really wanted to do the titles, mm. have a shot at doing the titles, even though Greenberg, Bob Greenberg said to me, you know, you, you can come and do print design, but I'm not sure if you have an aptitude in motion graphics, which in retrospect, I think is kind of not, I'm not saying it from a place of arrogance, like, you know, how could he say that to me? I'm just sort of, I'm saying that as a general philosophy, especially in light of what's going on in the world today or has been for the last 15 years, how can a good graphic designer not have an aptitude in, in motion? I mean, perhaps yeah. some Swiss designers that you, yeah. but I think to be a graphic designer, I just, I, I find it impossible to imagine how that can't carry over into an understanding of uh, music and, and cadence and, mm. and, but, but that's just me. I thought I was going to be good at that. So I said, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll take the job at Greenberg. I'll do your print work and just let me pitch on whatever titles come in. And, you know, 40 titles later, you know, in in the background, you know, helping Richard Greenberg when he came back and um, helping Bob. I became the creative director there. And then they sent me to LA to start RGALA. Mm. And I was one of the first guys to be sent out to LA. And that's, and when I got there, Richard and Bob had gotten back together and I, and I had to take over, you know, Richard needed a lot of help and he had movie titles like Use People and Groundhog Day and, uh, Rising Sun was going on and Quiz Show. And I got all these, Amos and Andrew was another one. I got all these things kind of dumped on me. Matinee, Kyle, you got to come in. And uh, and so I kind of hit the ground running mm. and and was trying to help, you know, Indecent Proposal, right? Uh, a lot of things, Joy Luck Club. And then I, when I was creative director at Art Greenberg in New York, I, I had Garson, I, I hired some of my friends from Yale. Garson Yu was a guy that I mentioned that I had the company with. I, him and John, I ultimately hired at our Greenberg and I brought Garson to LA and uh, I started staffing up the RGALA design team and I hired Karen Fong who had gone to Yale and uh, Michael Riley who went to RISD and Jacob Trollbeck. Um, I hired at, at Greenberg in New York and all these people have gone on, um, you know, there's probably 15 design companies in Los Angeles that are owned by people that are people that I hired um, to come and, and, and work. And then our GALA, we bought out, um, I'm sorry, Imaginary, I, I, so I started Imaginary Forces. Yeah. I took the name from the prologue of Henry V and we bought out our GALA and I asked um, Peter Frankfurt, who's Stephen Frankfurt's son, mm. to go into business, you know, to be my partner in Imaginary Forces because Peter, he had a lot of relationships. He was doing development for Bob Greenberg and he was developing some features. He was developing, I think he might have started developing Blade at that time, but he knew a lot of the people uh, in Hollywood and we thought that uh, Peter kind of had a lot of connections. And so I, I invited Peter to be uh, my partner um, in Imaginary Forces, and Chip Houghton was the executive producer. Bob sent Chip out, you know, several months after, maybe a year after I had been there, uh, to come out and run our GALA, and we all just kind of, we didn't know, I didn't know 
it just seemed like Bob was moving towards interactive and, and he's yeah. very, he's very wise that way. Bob's a very good businessman and he historically has moved towards, you know, he sees what's happening and, and, and modifies or sort of reinvents his business mm. um, to follow these trends. And uh, I, I been, actually met him when yeah. he was over here, also a giving a guy. DNA D lecture. Yeah. And he made it quite clear that they had moved uh, back away from titles now, movie yeah. titles, because he found them, uh, I think, problematic, whatever, but he f felt the future for him and his company was very much in interactive mobile phones, um, street advertising, all of these new technologies that... Uh, and he's always been, he's always been, I remember, you know, I was there when he was, you know, deciding that that was going to be the future that he wanted to pursue and he wanted to become um you know the the expert in that area and it's very you know wise of him but i was you know when he was talking about that he asked me about going to san francisco to do this interactive thing and i and for you know again it's a sort of shoot the moon mentality or it's it's almost it's it's not um Perhaps it's not responsible, but it's how I felt. I, I wanted to do titles, period. Yeah, you know, sure. I wanted to do titles since I saw that thing at Wang. And so he's, you know, and the same thing happened at Imaginary Forces. You asked me about my exit from Imaginary Forces. My business partners are talking about experience design and architecture and, and, and we're doing all this work in architectural, environmental design and, and re revisioning the the world trade center after the you know how are we going to rebuild that and all this stuff is happening in imaginary forces and i tried to facilitate that kind of growth by finding you know i was always i always found the designers to hire but when everybody said you know when the producers would say we should be doing this and we should be in this business and we should be taking the business in this direction mm. i would just be like i I'm a title designer. <laughs> yeah, it would seem to me actually talking to you that I, I've heard this before and to a certain extent it happened to me as well. You, as a company grows, you, you find yourself being distanced from the very thing that you really want to do. Yeah. And we all, all we want to do is design because that's the reason we started. And as a company becomes successful and more complicated components get slotted in, you find you beca you're becoming a producer, or you're becoming a manager, or you. But that's and that's all that it is. It's yeah. it's that it's only that. And you also find that the one-on-one -on -one interaction that I'm having with David Fincher, who's this man that I admire, I'm somehow distanced from that uh, client service, and I'm in the position of building this army of people that can be doing the one-on-one -on -one interaction. Which is the one-on-one -on -one interaction is. You know, I'm sure that I, I don't know that Stephen Frankfurt had a relationship with the director of the movie, but I have to assume that there's some kind of creative back and forth, and that you know, a couple of um, very creative people trying to you know figure out what the the solution is to that problem. And I just, it's smarter from a business standpoint for me to build 15 different silos, each head by its own creative director. That how are we going to do 50 projects? We're going to have 50 units. That, yeah. uh, and and this and this team is going to have it. I'm going to, you know, and that's what I did. I hired kids out of school. I sort of poured myself into them until they got to the point where they could do. They did a bunch of things under me, and then they got to the point where they could do their own work. And then they ran their own team, and I start building all these teams, mm -hmm. and 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 we're disseminating the work to all the teams. Mm -hmm. And I don't have 
that um, one one on one meditative um, relationship with my own work, which is you know I have other and when I did do my own work, um, people were saying, hey, maybe it would be better for the company if you worked on this, or mm. hey, maybe it'd be better mm. for the company if you did that a little bit faster. And so it's you're not. being pulled in all directions. So and that, I, I'm praying. This is yeah. my, I'm, I'm I'm cutting this, and this is my this is my you know this is you're molesting my contemplation. This is my this is my form of worship. This is I'm listening to my work. And you're telling me to hurry up and don't use the equipment for so long. And we have a, we have to actualize these jobs, and this job has a budget, and you only have two hours on the flame. So I own this yeah, flame, yeah. man. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? So you fa- you're in the classic position where actually the job is actually controlling you rather than you controlling the job. So you get frustrated and you leave. I, I wasn't frustrated. I wasn't. I wasn't. I I was. Um, I love the people that I hired, the designers that I hired, and I, I'm I'm proud of them when they make something, even the people that have started their own companies that compete with me, um, that I, I brought into this business, I take some genuine pleasure when I see them make something good. I'm happy for them. Um, that's why I talk about iron sharpening iron. I mean, I try to hire designers and give them opportunities and, and, and uh, this idea of having a community, you know, it, it, ideally we would make each other better. Um, and so I don't have any bad feelings about anything, but I was, I didn't feel like I was growing mm. creatively. I just wanted to do something else. I, I saw um, Alan Fletcher mm. at one of these RSA things yeah. several years ago. And I said, hey, you know, why'd you leave Pentagram? And he's like, I just want to do something else, man. You know, and, and there might be all this, there might be a huge, there might be all this backstory that I sure. don't know. Maybe you know, you know, but I, 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 uh, I, what's, I, you what's know, wrong with that reason? There's nothing wrong with that reason. I think it's something that many people that have been, had, um, great success, you know, suddenly sit down in the small hours and think, you know what? Uh, I'm not happy at just being, uh, uh, taking on projects sometimes that I shouldn't take on because it's been driven by the company. Because we've got a big overhead, and you know, maybe yeah, okay, we'll take it on because it'll it'll bring in some more cash, and then maybe I'll be able to do something else. And you never get you get to the point where you're not doing that something else, and so finally you have to make the big decision. Many people don't make that decision, and they become really glorified managers, and they lose that that magic, that something that sparked them in the first place that internal spirit that actually is always in there trying to get out or you just find a balance because i'm not i'm not taking the stereotypical kind of position that you know business and the needs of business and the needs of design are contrary and they can't be reconciled and you can't have a successful company i think prologue um is a is a good company tell me how that started so you <coughs> you, you finally uh, decided to part mm-hmm. company with imaginary forces was that yeah but i'm still a, sort of i'm still affiliated you, you know, are i haven't um i i didn't hire anybody i didn't take anybody mm-hmm. that works there and i don't usually i don't consider myself a competitor because you know when we don't usually pitch on the same kinds of things um like i say they're gro- they're they're building these other areas of business i was building the main title business Although I do a lot of different things, but so we do a lot of network broadcast packages and we do a lot of commercials now at Prologue and I'm happy to do those things. I think that you can achieve the balance 
doing good work for business and 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 uh I like to have the freedom of making my own decisions sure. about what work to take on. Yeah. And I think that I can transcend the argument better now because I I'm responsible for my own choices, good or bad. Sure. You know, because it's my I'm the only person that yeah. prologue is my company. I mean, I guess my myself and my wife. Yeah. You know, and even that having my wife participate in the business adds another person into the mix. So I even have some mild altercations with my wife about, you know, <laughs> no, I want to do this. Sure. And so, but I have, but that, but that's okay because I have to do that because yeah, I, 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 yeah. I, I, I live with this person and is the mother of my four children. And so, okay, honey, you don't want me to do that job. Then, you know, I'll, I'll take that into consideration, but it's, it's, it's just a little easier to not have so many, to have um, you know uh, yeah. other people's opinions to reconcile in in addition. Okay, I, I, I wanted to touch on one thing which uh, would interest me, and I've not heard much spoken about it. And that is, in two thousand and one, you you kind of moved across to the director's seat proper, and you directed uh, Newport South, the only feature that you've directed. And interestingly, you know, not wanting to make these connections with Saul Bass, he only directed one film, which was Phase Four, and never directed another. Can you tell me a little bit about the experience of it and what you learned from it and what, you, what your feelings are as actor? What I learned from directing that feature is that you give up a year or more of your life, um, you know, a, a year and a half to two years of, of your life to, to do a, you know, Possibly less, but in my instance, it was a, giving up a significant, por significant portion of my life. And you have to really believe in the story, and you have to really um, know the material. And I feel like, again, I was younger. I'm not, I don't think I'm the same person now that I was. And somebody said, do you want to direct a feature? And I just rushed in and mm -hmm. said, of course, I want to die. What else? I can do Mission Impossible 2, or I can direct a feature. You know, and, and I, sure, you know, without necessarily weighing weighing the decision, just kind of going for it. Um, I had a, a, a amazing relationship with the DP, Juan Ruiz Anchia was my uh, sort of partner and he would, you know, I'd get up every morning and draw out everything that we're gonna shoot. And I loved being in Chicago in the winter shooting this thing. And I shot a half a million feet of film and I kept thinking that in the same way that if someone comes to you with a brief uh, for a design problem you know, or a main title or a commercial, even if you're not quite sure about the brief, you can make it better. If you just, just get down to it, it'll sort itself out. Yeah. And I, um, I didn't get a chance to do my obsessive one frame at a time editing for that movie. And I shot all this footage that was never used in the movie. And uh, everyone said, you need to just, I, I would have done things different, differently. Mm. You know, I would have, I would have more insisted on my a director's cut. Yeah. You know, I have a cut in my mind that I would like to do, and I still actually I still cut little bits of it now here and there, and I'd like to show my director's cut. Mm -hmm. But I think a, a lot of what I do comes out in the edit, and um, I didn't really I didn't feel like I cut something that I like. So what did I learn from that? I, I you know you have to well number one I learned that it's not it's okay to be a title designer. You know I I don't. In the same way that I said when everyone wanted to move into different areas of business that I, I wanted to do titles, you know, everyone talks about the logical progression. Mm. 
But I think there's something kind of noble about the fact that Paul Rand was still designing logos until a week before he died, you know, yeah. and, and there's no one saying, you know, you should be a filmmaker. You should take it to the next level. You should do this. Yeah. If I, I, if I, if what I am is a title designer, I don't have, I don't feel like I haven't. So you do know, you, I, I, my life is any lesser. I want to be a, you know, if I, I want to be a good father and I want to be a title. And if I'm a title designer, that's my, because I, I like, I like that I have so much experience in my one craft and my one trade that I can go into a project and I can take one meeting and I think better than most other people. I can say, oh, this is the problem. This is what we have to do. And if we don't do it this way, these five things are going to go wrong. Mm. I I know exactly how to put these things together. Mm. And uh, do, do that's I, okay. Do I take it from that that you probably will not direct another film or <laughs> never say never, but it's not on your horizon? I'm very interesting in, in, interested in building prologue right now. That's yeah. my yeah. that's my project right now. I have this sort of a sequence of things that I want to accomplish in my mind and where I am right now is um take care of my kids, make prologue work. The quote from The Tempest that says what's past is prologue. You know, I think that's kind of appropriate. It's the, the everything I learned from imaginary forces is now I feel like coming to fruition in this new thing. All that mm -hmm. I keep talking about choices that I made at that time in my life that possibly weren't the best choices, but all of those choices have put me into this direction or this situation right now that I'm very excited about. Mm -hmm. I, I really feel like I'm on, I, I you know I'm 46. I guess that's old, but I still feel like I talk to people that are in their 70s and they're very sharp and and and. Uh, I feel like I, I'm just beginning to figure myself out and figure out what I want to do. Um, and, and with prologue, you're 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 getting more deeply immersed into whole areas of movies now. Yeah, you know? and so I think that I'm going. I mean, I I have opportunities to work on features, and there and people come to me with you know talking about the idea of of doing another movie, and I have content that I'm thinking about developing but there isn't this sort of sense of urgency that i had when i was younger that unless i unless i do this thing unless i can prove that i can make these features you know i don't think i'm going to wake up tomorrow and be ridley scott you know i think so one of the things i wanted to to also ask is is how you see uh, your area of design actually expanding or evolving over the the, the the next decade because there's been quite a, a a leap in the last decade i wonder how you saw things moving uh in the near future what's been happening is that um you know the the, the graphic designers that had participated in the filmmaking process in the main titles and in the end titles are um seeping into the body of the film proper yeah um we're doing a lot of these uh premeditated and uh, ideally visually sophisticated sequences within the body of the film itself and not just, you know, when there's a graphic, there's been a graphic designer on a film historically, their role has been to put decals on uh, planes and uh, generate newspapers, ephemeral material to be shot, but because graphic designers are now animators and editors, and uh, musicians, you know, and though that technology is in their hand, ideally the cream will rise to the top and there'll be more graphic designers making headway into the filmmaking process and, and uh, perhaps we'll see some innovative ways of thinking about filmmaking. So that, I mean, that sounds very exciting. It sounds, um, 
you know, much more kind of uh, expansive and, and rewarding for you because you'll be, um, you know, have a much bigger hold on on things rather than just be involved on in the beginning and the end, which, as you said yourself earlier on, uh, coming to terms with that, that actually you're very comfortable with being a title designer. And I'm very pleased to hear that because there are so few really good ones around. And one of the things you mentioned earlier on is that you said, I think, that you know, film is so impoverished sometimes. And, I, and by that, I think you, you probably meant that there is a lack of care in, the, in those design aspects of films, which I've always found extraordinary with talented directors who actually overlook the whole process of the beginning and an end of a film. They almost hand it over to someone else to, to produce and with the most horrible results. Yeah, that they do, there is, obviously there's many directors that, that respect the process, that it can have a significant impact, and then there's some that can see that that's not their area of expertise and they just, like you say, hand it off to somebody who may have be qualified at some. You know, there's a lot of people with a need graphic design Still, sometimes that this the idea that seems naive to me that well, my I have a friend who's a painter and maybe he can. Oh yeah, or I, I might. yeah, I know the uh, story. I've been there with the with pop groups who have, always have girlfriends that can draw. It's so generic. It's such a generic story. I mean, I know that we've all heard that story before that that you know the boss's wife and all of that. But it but but you know, I know a guy that. You know, does that kind of let's let him do the titles and at least with Woody Allen, he decides to have the same typeface, and it's that it's kind of almost like a brand for him. His titles. I don't even think it's bad. I think it's. I mean, there's a lot of times where it makes perfect sense to yeah. do titles, and you know, I don't have any. Okay, well, look, uh, j- just to round off the two last questions. What um, I mean, there's obviously a lot of young designers that you've inspired, particularly into the area of of title design. Because it's you know it has it's got far greater notice in in uh, in recent years, particularly since you've been involved with it. What advice would you would you give to a young designer trying to get very much into your field and wanting to be very much like you? I think they should make a title. I yeah. think that um, they they I mean I, in the general sense they should work on their storytelling and their ideas and their sort of actual design and then use those skills, basic typography to maybe redo an existing title sequence or make something speculative thing maybe make something in school or yeah. make something you know there's nothing it used to be that we could take refuge in the fact that it was too expensive to get a camera we couldn't make films because it was too expensive to to get the 35 uh, millimeter camera but there's really no reason that you can't the tech available that you can make a low resolution project yourself and i would take that project do the make it as a Okay, one one final question. If you were not doing what you were doing now, which is uh, which I know you love doing, what would you what would you do? I'd like to be a writer. I think I would write more. I'd try to write, you know, a novel or something or a screenplay or. So is that what you do when you're when you're on holiday or when you're away from the studio and not involved with a with a movie? You're you're maybe thinking about your own scenarios and your own. Right, it's more academic. 
Ah, really? So the kinds of things that I would, they're not necessarily um, entertainment-based things, but it's, but, you know, I, I have ideas, things I'd like to, you know, explore further, interested in uh, Shakespeare. Something that, that looks at the metaphor and the use of words in, in Shakespeare and, and uh, the kind of, um, but I haven't had to put this into words. No. Which is what you what you've been doing in titles for a long while. Yeah, actually. and I and I think and it's just and it's a recurring thing. That yeah, the union of, of um, words that don't that, that new ideas that come from juxtaposing words that are not have not historically or at least in, in, been juxtaposed. Spending more, having more time to really look at language is interesting to me. Well, I I hope that you do get that opportunity, Carl. Carl Cooper, thank you very much.